turn with me over to John chapter 12. And those of you that have been with us for a little while, you know that what we're talking about, we're spending time, we will, I really believe starting, you know, sort of like the middle of last year that the Lord began to speak to me about, you know, we're kind of, we've spent 10 years learning how to believe. That the mechanism of the New Testament, it isn't learning how to be a good preacher so that you can whoop up a good offering. That's not how the New Testament works. That's how many of us think it works. I've seen it work. But uh, that's not the New Testament. The New Testament is all about the, uh, you know, learning how to believe, how to come into that place of believing. And so we spent 10 years as a ministry really going after it, you know, like pretty much any time you heard me talk, it was going to be something to do with growing in our understanding of how to believe. Um, and then the Lord spoke to me last year, so okay, now that you know how to believe, we need to talk about what to believe. Because there's, you know, how many, how, how many of you tried to make it through your Bible in one sitting? Anybody ever done that? You know, it's a big book. There's a lot of stuff in there. You know, God talks a lot. I don't know if you knew that. He's got a lot of time on his hands. That's just how it goes. And so what we need to do is we need to find out, like, if we're going to start somewhere in believing in something, then what should we start doing? What, what's the point? And really, I believe uh, that the point of the New Testament is bringing us to Jesus so that we could have our sins forgiven, so that we could get filled with the Holy Spirit, so that the Holy Spirit can guide us into the truth, so that we could possess that which God intended for humankind to always possess, and that was what we refer to as the blessing of Abraham, which was the blessing of Noah, which was the blessing of Adam, which is my dad. And so, as him being my dad, I have the same blessing that is on those guys. Yes, sir. And so what we're going to take time with this year is really getting to the place where not that we understand what is the blessing. The blessing just means everything's going to go awesome for you no matter what. I mean, it's boil it down. The problem is, for most of us, that's not going to be easy to, to believe. Right. The reason that we are scratching and scraping at life and trying to make it work ourselves is because we don't believe that the blessing is making it work for us. Mm. And I, I, you know, let's, let's start out, let's just lay it out right there. That's just the truth. You know, I can judge what I believe by the things I do, by the thoughts and feelings that I have. And so what we want to be able to do desperately, I believe in this season, this thousand years that we're in right now, this millennium that we're standing in, as we take our time in the very beginning steps, the first couple breaths of that millennium, I believe God wants a church that is possessing again the blessing of Abraham. But we have to be a little bit aware. That's what we're talking about in this season that we're in right now. We have to be a little bit aware that although the kingdom of God is likened unto a seed that the farmer plants and it comes up first the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear, and then he makes a harvest. That's how the kingdom works. And it sounds very simple. It almost sounds so simple that how did we ever get it wrong? And so really it's more about at first understanding what are, the, what are the reasons that something so simple becomes so complex that we just, we've tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and tried, but we can't seem to really get into it the way God wants us into it. We certainly live blessed. We certainly are the most blessing of Abraham people since ever. But still we would know there's more to this. There's more to access. There's more to step into here. Because we, you know, although we are experiencing it 
you know, the world is experiencing something that looks really similar. And so there's not enough differentiation between, you know, what you get living fear, dread, and selfishness and what you get living faith, hope, and love. And so when we are stepping in now, what we're doing is, is that we're, we're walking along to understand if it's so easy for the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God and the kingdom of earth, all of the kingdoms that work on the same principle of seed time and harvest, if they all work the same way and it's just simple, right? In grade eight, you took the little class with the Petri dish, remember that, that class? And you put the little something seed in there and you did it and boop boo boo next thing you know, everybody had a, that's, that's just kids. It's not that hard to do this. Now, if you forget and you put gasoline in the Petri dish, it's not gonna grow right? Because you did it wrong. And there's a million ways to do it wrong. That's the problem. The, the right way to do it is very simple. The wrong way to do it is very complicated. People think that Jesus's life was very complicated. Oh my gosh, all the things that he knew. Oh, no. Jesus's life was very simple. Imagine how your life would be if there was no possible way for you to misunderstand the world that you are in. There's no chance you're ever going to get offended or mad at anybody. There's no place confusion or misinterpretation or misunderstanding could ever enter your life at all, ever. Imagine how simple. Could we just lift our hands up and say, Lord. That's what the kingdom is. The kingdom is simple. It's accessible to a child. So what we have to do is when we are no longer children, when it was accessible easily, you know, we were watching little Olivia the other day. She was busy with me on the floor. If you know Olivia, busy is all got capital letters. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, uh, Stephanie Frizzle comes on, just stream, I don't know how they do it, they stream somehow onto the TV. And she's playing with me and we're doing our thing on the floor and all of a sudden, comes out of Olivia. She just turns away from me like I'm sliced bread or something, like chopped liver. She hears Stephanie in the background and all of a sudden she turns around, lifts her little hands up and starts singing. You know, that's how simple it is. That's the problem. Right? We're looking at, you know, I'm so smart now, you know, after 60 years of being on this planet, man, I got this thing licked. Yeah, okay. I, I was busy. She, I didn't do that. Olivia did that. She heard the Lord, felt the Lord, spun right around, lifted her hands up, and in her singing voice, off she goes. It's that simple. So, which is good, except now we have to spend some time saying, why is it not so simple for me? What are the things that Scripture tells me about this simple process of growing a seed in my heart and how do I make sure that I understand all the things I need to be alert to? I need to not do these things. Because if I do those things, the simple process that's been outlined in red for thousands of years now is going to be lost to me. And then I'm going to go tell somebody else, it doesn't work like that. But it does work like that. It does work like that. So here we are. Where am I? And so as we're talking about the blessing, and I'm going to jump ahead in my notes. I'm sorry again. But just to give you a little bit of hope for an understanding of why what we're doing right now as we're sort of taking the time doing the negatives, you know, don't do this, don't do that, beware of this, beware of that, that's kind of downer teaching. The reason that that needs to be at first is because we can discover the word, we can receive the word from God, but it cannot bear fruit in our lives. Lots of good reasons why it won't bear fruit in our life. 
And when we deal with point number one in Matthew chapter 13, it says that Satan comes immediately from them that understandeth it not. And Jesus goes on to share, we did this a couple weeks ago, Jesus went on to share that, the, that their minds had waxed gross. They had become dull. And we had to understand then, how do we become dull? How did that happen? If the word of God comes to us in its purity, it should just get in our heart, zippity-doo-dah, give me a couple of weeks, give me six months, give me a year, I'm getting 30, 60, and 100-fold, rest of my life, generationally, 1,000 years. Zippity-doo-dah. How does it not end up like that? So when we look at it in the beginning, you'll be, hopefully you'll be familiar with this story. I'm not gonna get you to go there, but we will go there, but just as, a, as an idea for you today, you know, when Abraham got a hold of this, and the blessing of Abraham started to appear in Abraham's life. And he just had this major blessings, you know, like he just took his household servants out to fight against four kings and their armies and came back victorious. You know, they said he was very rich. They said the stuff just worked out for him. He just became this, uh, you know, this huge person because of the blessing of God on his life. And then we see Abraham passes that blessing on to Isaac, his son, and Isaac starts to use a few of those things. You know, he kind of had the, you know, I'm going to go to Egypt. There's a, fa there's a famine. Whoa, no. God says, don't go to Egypt. Just plant in the famine. Believe God. And he did that. You know, you planted in the famine. And then, whoa, it's a hundredfold return that Isaac got. Wow, it's amazing. He's got the blessing and he's starting to learn how to use it. And Isaac had two kids. And Esau and Jacob are the two, Esau older, Jacob younger. And we see very quickly that one of those guys didn't get it. Now it's what's important here to notice is Abraham is still alive. Or he, and you know, when these kids are growing up and there's one of the two kids is now losing it. And then you see the next, now Jacob who did carry it, he had 12 sons the 12 tribes of Israel, Jacob's name ends up getting changed to Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, that's Joseph and his other 11 brothers. We, and Joseph is the baby. Second. The, so the, the blessing, oh, help me Lord. So you know when, remember the Esau and the, and the, and the Jacob story when the, you know, they fought, they did the whole bless the one and the other one, nothing left for the other one and all that? There was two blessed, he could have had it. You know that because Joseph had, how many does it work out? 10 older brothers, one younger brother. He, Joseph accessed the blessing. When you see Joseph, and we're gonna study Joseph a lot because Joseph is kind of like what we're gonna be going through. And so there's, there's this journey that, Joseph, the 10th, 11th born, has accessed the blessing. That meant that even though Esau gave it away, he could still have got it. It was still on him. Because it was on Joseph, who was 11th. Do you see that? Now watch what happens is these brothers, they lost, they didn't understand what it was. Third generation. One out of 12 could understand how to access the blessing that their grandfather was the captain of. He was the guy. And they lost it. But watch what happens with the blessing. Like, it's just amazing. 
Joseph, if you remember, how many of you don't have never heard of the story of Joseph and all that kind of stuff? End of Genesis there. The Technicolor Dreamcoat. Did you see the, did you see the Broadway play? And so what happened was is that the brothers got jealous of the blessing that was on Joseph's life. Jealousy, focus on that word. Got jealous of the blessing that was upon Joseph's life. And what they did was they put him in a pit, tried to kill him, put him in a pit, sold him into slavery. The, the blessing goes with Joseph. It doesn't, it doesn't matter, pit or palace, don't matter. He's gonna carry that blessing through. Then that blessing goes upon him so that he makes Pharaoh the richest man in the world. How many of you know God did not intend for the blessing to make Pharaoh the richest man? Who did it intend to make the richest man in the world? Man, nah, little clue. God intended all 12 of the brothers would all walk in that blessing and that they would become, because of the famine that was coming that God knew about, and they told their father Isaac about how to deal with the famine, these 12 were supposed to know how to deal with the famine so that instead of Pharaoh becoming the richest man in the world, these guys would become the richest man in the world. Now, and it's not just about money. It was gonna, it's the overcoming, fix any problem you have kind of a deal that's on your life. So then Joseph goes to Egypt and then the Israelites, you've seen the movie, the Israelites become the slaves eventually go from the most powerful family in all of Egypt. After 400 years, Pharaoh was killing all their children and enslaving them in order to build his cities. These people who were as much possessors of the blessing, these, let's say there's a million of them, as much possessors, possessors of the blessing that was upon Abraham as Abraham was, as Isaac was, as Joseph was. But they didn't know that. You see, they didn't understand their potential as carriers of the blessing of God. God had to go and raise up Moses. Now watch as the story comes to a cool and a very ironic close. God raises up Moses, who goes back to Israel, Egypt. He gets all of the children who are possessors of the blessing but don't know it. He gets them to demand from the, Israel, from the Egyptians all of the gold, ends up with all of Pharaoh's armies dead in, the Red, in, the, in, the, in the, the Red Sea. The Egyptians carry away all the blessing with them. Where do they go? They go back to where? To Abraham's house, the promised land, and become the richest men in the world. Watch, see what happened? What was the problem? Right to the beginning of the story. The problem was 11 brothers didn't know who they were. Because those 11 brothers didn't know who they were, that fateful day that cost the family of Abraham 500 years. because they didn't understand the blessing that was upon their life.
because they didn't understand it. They got jealous of the person who did have the blessing on their life and wanted to kill him. You see, what happens is we think our life looks like that. Actually, our life looks like that. This is who we think we are. This is who we actually are. Who knew that little boy with the technicolored coat could become the richest and most powerful man on the planet? Wow. This is the season, and the reason we're taking time with this This is the season, not for the preacher to have this, although I'm happy to lead the way. (laughs) This is what has to be upon the kingdom of God. You know, we gotta get rid of all of this jealousy. Can I tell you this, we'll get to it at the end here today. Jealousy, envy, covetousness. Just focus. What these guys, boys did They misplaced the blessing, lost it one day. Instead, they got jealous, envious, and covetous. So be careful. How many of you know those words are pretty foundational words in our culture, right? You need to get a new car because your neighbor got a new car. Covetousness. How many of you ready? Okay, that's how important this is. This makes all the difference in the world. It transforms the very nature of the kingdom here on this earth. If the kingdom starts with the blessing of Abraham upon the people in the kingdom, it transforms the way the kingdom expands into the whole wide world. Are we the least the lost? Is that the, the, the last people? Is that who we are? Now, we have, now, believe me, you have to start in a place of humility and selflessness. You don't even get into the kingdom if you don't have that. But once you get in the kingdom, God is not looking to hold you down any more than he was looking to hold Jesus down, any more than he was looking to hold anybody else down that was going to go and demonstrate the blessing of God for all the world to see. What Jesus demonstrated when he was here was life. The blessing of God produces life in everything you touch. Everywhere you go, anybody that has anything to do with you experiences that blessing that produces increase, life, vitality in every area that it touches. God wants the kingdom of God to be about that force. That's why he put it on Adam. That's why he remembered to put it back on Noah. That's why he remembered to put it onto Abraham. That's why he said Jesus came to give us that because he still has the same plan. God never, ever, ever changes. It's the reason God did all this. And so what, what happens? How did they end up getting into this place where the blessing that is, it's literally in the grandfather. We see that in our culture, right? We see in 
It's almost a, a, a proverb that grandfather will make the money, the, 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 that'd be the father, lives inside the blessing that the grandfather built. If this ever happens, you know, I mean, you see people who have done this. The, the, the son doesn't take that blessing and make it a thousand times more. He just lives inside the blessing. He just starts spending the money. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? Yeah. Then the grandson, how many of you know that it's almost a proverb that the grandson gets lost? Yeah. Completely, the trust fund kid doesn't have, now just, just doesn't have a concept of anything anymore. Yeah. Three generations, that's what happened here, right? Abraham got it. Abraham just, uh, Isaac just lived in it. He didn't expand it. The grandchildren, uh, Esau and Jacob, then these kids, the 12. That's how fast it goes away. We have to become generational about the way the kingdom works so that the grandfathers and the fathers and the sons keep get this blessing going so that when the new kids arrive, the new kids don't just decide, I'm just going to spend grandpa's money. I mean, grandpa should give them the money, yes, but they need to understand how the wisdom of the kingdom of God on how to use that in a way that's going to transform the world and bring it to a closer dimension of heaven on earth. See, when we get that, what it sets in motion is a thousand years of the kingdom of God in operation. Who knows where we could be 100 years from now, never mind 1,000 years from now. We have not anywhere near the potential of what a human being is. Nowhere near it. In 2 Corinthians, so so let's just go there. Where did I tell you to go, John 12? Did I tell you to go, John 12? In John 12, it, it shares, let me go there myself, New Testament, John 12. And verse 40. And because they, and therefore they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. That's the same scripture in John. We see that in, in Matthew 13, Mark 4, uh, Luke 8, John 12, Acts something. 28. What's going on here? Chapter 40, he. He has blinded their eyes. It goes at the beginning of a sentence in English, so he capitalized it, which could make us believe that he, the guy that blinded their eyes, was Jesus or God. And so we have to begin to understand now the fourth dimension of what, is, what is, prevents us from really hearing, understanding the word, the seed of the word of God that is given to us, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And let me tell you a little bit of a parable that Paul used to talk about this very subject to, to the people in Corinth. And, look, and verse, look at verse 7. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones was so glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the spirit not be even more glorious? 
For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. Stay with me. I know this is, this is kind of, you know, King Jamesy. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory thus excels. Verse 13, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end that was passing away. Remember the story where Moses had been up on the mountain and his face shone, and because it was shining, the people were freaked out. And so what Moses had to do, Moses had to cover his face so that the people wouldn't get freaked out. And then the glory started to fade because Moses hadn't been on the mountain for a while. And so then Moses didn't want to take off the veil because then people would see that the glory had faded. So he's having all kinds of problems going on here, okay? But there, so here, but their minds were blinded. For unto this day, Jesus, now this is Paul speaking in the New Testament. For unto this day, that same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the ve- and because that veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lays on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. We're gonna have to unpack a lot of this when we get further down this. But now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You know, what is, what is, what's he defining liberty as here? What he's defining as liberty is not that you get to do whatever you want. What he's defining liberty as here is that when the scripture is read, you understand it. The liberty of the New Testament comes from our ability to understand or to have the veil removed from our eyes, from our minds, so that we can understand. But we all now with unveiled face. Say that with me. Say, I have have an unveiled face. face. How will I know that? Wait a minute now. That sounds easy to say, right? But unveiled face means that I easily understand the word of God when it's given to me. So it's easier to give than it is to receive, but more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, I believe the other way around. I think it's actually dumb to think of it the way Jesus said it, maybe, we would say. But we now, in the possession of this unveiled face, is evidenced by beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, who do you see when you look into the mirror? Who did I see this morning when I looked into the mirror? I saw Pasadena. Right? That's what he's talking about. When I, I know that I have an unveiled face, when I look into the mirror, oh, I can just see the emails now. <laughs> when I look into the, into the mirror and what I see in the mirror is the glory of the Lord. Yeah. Okay, let's, can we do some very simple mathematics here? Who's got the glory on them? If I see it looking in the mirror. Whoa. I didn't write this. I'm just telling you what it says. How did we get to that place? Carry on. Beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being, we, that's we, with with unveiled face, are being transformed into the same image of who? Of the Lord, of Jesus Christ. 
We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. How does this work? In order for me to get this unveiled face thing happening, I have got to bring myself, it says you get it unveiled in Christ. When I am able, as we talked the last few times, I'm able to see that Jesus was here because he wanted to unlock the ability of a human being to understand the word of God. That's his reason for being here. When he unlocks that, all of a sudden now, my mind can see something that I couldn't see before. And even with the smallest amount of receiving of the word of God, I'll look into the mirror and I'll say, that guy in the mirror is not the same guy that was there yesterday. I start to see the glory of the Lord on my life. You'll start to see the glory of the Lord on your life or in context of this teaching. You're gonna start to see the blessing of the Lord on your life empowering you to do the things that Jesus did, like Jesus did, living a life like Jesus did. Go to the next page. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm just going to drop in on this one scripture, verse 4. It says, Whose minds the God of this age has blinded? whose minds the God of this age has blinded. The whole, the fourth area here where we struggle to hear the the pure, like the ability to clearly understand the things that God is bringing to us is because the God of this world is blinding our ability to see. There's an active device, an active strategy, an active work of the kingdom of God to try and get you not to understand simple things. And that work is the same work that was going on back in Abraham's day with his great-grandchildren. The device to get people who should be walking in this as easy as a knife through butter, it's the simplest thing in the whole wide world to do what somebody else already done, particularly your dad or your grandpa. But that device comes in to be able to blind you, to sear your mind. That word blind is the word to make your, your reception blunt. You can't really receive it. It's kind of just like clouded over. Deception, remember, I'm just gonna breeze through this now because I see that i am only got eight hours left. The, John chapter eight says that this he person, the God of this, how many of you know who the God of this world is? Right? Now remember, we got some of the whole bunch of this wrong. We're in Corinthians and we're, he's, the, the, Paul is saying there is a God of this world and it is the devil. I thought the devil was defeated. Oh gosh, you know, if only there weren't so many contradictions in the Bible. The devil has one ability. All of his power has been stripped from him, right? Every power, all authority that the devil had has been stripped. That happened at the cross. 
That happened when Jesus, the three days Jesus went into the devil's lair and stripped them of all their power. He only has one ability left. And what is that ability? He only has the ability to lie to you. Right? That's why Jesus said in, in John 8, he says he's the father of lies. There is no truth in him. Deception, specifically, deception is what causes blindness. But how many of you know that there are levels of blindness? How many of you know that the fact that I have to wear these is a level of blindness? Then there's legally blind, which doesn't mean you're actually blind. It just means that you, there's a level of it. And then you can go all the way down to completely blind, at which time there is zero perception going from your eyeballs to your head. Do you understand that? That's the same way that it is in the kingdom, that there are places where the truth, the belief systems that we have can come bring us all the way into complete blindness. The way that that happens is, or let's say let me like this. When a truth that you hold reaches the status of indisputable, that's a, this is a very special status. This is why most people struggle with, with money things. Anybody got an answer? <laughs> People are ahead of me here. <laughs> one plus one equals two. Is, is that indisputable? Yes. yes. That's indisputable, right? Yes. And so when we hold that as an indisputable reality, that cannot be challenged. And here's some of the other words, incontrovertible, incontestable, undeniable, irrefutable, unquestionable, unable to be challenged or denied. What happens is that the way an idea works, it, it goes from just a simple idea or a suggestion, and then it becomes an experience that you perceive based on that perception, and then it begins to be validated over and over and over again. And then once it's been validated a few times, you start to believe it. Yes. This, if I drop, you know, here's the concept of gravity, you know, the earth sucks. If I drop this, it's gonna hit the ground. Now Olivia thinks it's maybe 50-50. Because sometimes we let her go and she doesn't drop. And so we play with her a lot. And so sometimes we let her go and she goes up and sometimes we let her go and she goes down. So she thinks it's about 50-50. When we start teaching her about gravity, we're gonna show her how that happens 100%. It's an incontrovertible truth. As that goes along and it gets validated and validated and validated and validated, it reaches, eventually reaches the place where it is an indisputable reality. There's no point in us even talking about whether one plus one equals two or whether it equals some other thing. We all know it's absolutely that and only that. The problem then, when God says one plus one is 97, we go, no, God, you can't possibly be right. So if I take my income and give away 10%, I'll have 100 times more. Absolutely wrong. <laughs> That's what we do. Because it's an, in, it's a, it's an indisputable reality. 100% minus 10% equals 90%. There is no other math than that. 
And that's why we struggle, because we have made these things indisputable realities. That now becomes an area where if God comes, no matter how he comes, he could bring, you know, like in in the days when Jesus was physically on the earth, he could bring somebody right in front of your face to do something that you think is absolutely indisputable. When you're dead, you're dead. And then he can raise somebody, the little boy in, this, in the little town of Maine there, or Lazarus, or, or raise him from the dead. And the people who had these things, they were so smart, they had all kinds of indisputables. They couldn't step in on Jesus. They couldn't step in. Yeah. Couldn't believe. They couldn't believe. They couldn't, why? The God of this world has told them that the facts, particularly some of them, indisputable. Can't work any other way. Once it reaches this stage, any contest is laughable. It's not only ignored, it's scorned and violently opposed because of its stupidity. You're going to feel this when we start talking about the blessing of Abraham. It's just going to start working. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. Sure it is. Ain't worked before. I ain't never seen it work before. This is just preachy talk. That's going to happen. Because stuff just doesn't work. If it's going to work, you've got to make it work. How many of you believe like that? Right? If it's, if it's going to be, it's up to me. That's how we believe in our world. It's violent, it will be violently opposed because, it's, because of its absurdity. Nothing just works. Religious blindness is like that. See, religious, religious people sort of get it partly right because they found some truth, but then they believe they know all there is to know. And then when Jesus comes along, and he takes the same scriptures that they think they know and takes it up to another level, what do they do? Right? They get angry. They get violently angry. Anything more or less than what they believe is a completed work in their understanding because of their great intellect. Remember, it's the human thing. We have to be careful of that in our culture. We've had 200 years of celebrating intellect. We don't need to show fruit anymore because we can preach good, right? We can post on Facebook now so we don't have to know anything at all. We don't have to have even the smallest of fruit. Do you see that? So we've, and we are all affected by this now instead of it being the way it needs to be. Anything more or less is absurd and must not be allowed to poison the pot. So Jesus comes in and he talks about this scripture at a higher level. Now you're going to poison our pot for us. You're going to steal what we believe. You're going to, and all of a sudden now, it becomes, you become their enemy, right? Religion is a, way, is the, is a device. And I'm not saying religion. There is a true religion and a good religion, okay? It's this thing I'm talking about where we do it in such a way that it becomes bondage, it becomes, it, it, it constantly, anytime God wants to move to the next level of things, the people who are in the previous move of things try to kill the people that are in the new move of things. Right. Right. That's, and that's just, that's, again, that's a proverb. That's how it goes. 
unless we become aware that you may believe some things right now. Let's make it personal. I may believe some things right now. I can tell you some of the stuff in, in the blessing of Abraham still to this very day. I can hear, I can confess it, sure. But I can go, I hear myself going, mm-hmm, <laughs> on the inside. That's just because somebody taught me that this was me instead of this was me. Simple. Okay, the religious blindness is the cruelest of all demonic oppressions. Even Jesus couldn't break through most of it. You know, other than Nicodemus and a couple of guys that snuck in, you know, in the dark of night to hang out with Jesus. For the most part, these are the guys that crucified Jesus. Not, not, not the Jews. Don't, don't mistake it. It was this, this religious spirit that is flying planes into buildings, that is, you know, it's, the sa- it's just one spirit. The second part of it that it becomes a very real thing for us, and it's, we've, done, we've walked through this really quickly, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to close in a few minutes. <laughs> Not a whole lot of commitment there, you're thinking. Okay, so witchcraft. Witchcraft is using fervent emotion to impose one person's will upon another. And so we have to realize that in our culture, this issue of witchcraft is huge, much more than you would ever think because of the device that we use in our marketing world and the way our culture functions where... People are aggressively telling you that, you know, you need to fit better into those skinny jeans. And if you don't, then you're an outcast and nobody will ever love you ever for the rest of eternity. They do that because they want to impose their will on you to buy their skinny jeans. That's what happens. Obviously, I'm not saying that they're all thinking that they're, you know, at night they're sitting in the middle of their pentagram or anything like that. (laughs) But it's the same force. It's the same force that is being used, a skillful use of spiritual forces in order to control the will of another person. (coughs) And that is a huge problem in our culture. Three things activate it, jealousy, envy, and covetousness. That's why we can never be jealous of anybody. The, The motivation of these forces of witchcraft is always to make another person less, okay? So Mike, come up here for a sec. So if I, I want, Mike is starting to get a little taller than me because he's more awesome than I am. And I'm feeling threatened by that because obviously he's cheating to do that. Right? Yeah. I start getting jealous of the fact that he's getting bigger than me. So what I want to do is I want to cut him off at the knees so that he goes lower, I stay the same, but now I'm higher than him. That is, thanks. That is the motivation of jealousy, envy, and covetousness. Whenever you try to diminish the life of another person, you are doing it because you are jealous of them, envious of them, and covetous of them. Oh yeah, sure, Mr. I, Mr. I got a big payment on my Ferrari out there on the road. Yeah, 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 guy's in debt. <laughs> that, guy's a, that guy's a drug dealer for sure. What'd you do? You're, you're diminishing that. Why are you doing that? Because you're jealous. It is true. Oh, you know, 
take a moment. Say la, as David said. And what I'm trying to do, out of the intensity of my negative emotion, I'm trying to diminish the life of another person. That's called witchcraft. And witchcraft and religious spirit is what has built the North American culture. There you go. Fear, dread, and selfishness being used as a weapon or a tool. This is our cultural and economic engine. We have to be so aware of it. Fear is much more easily perceived by someone already caught in fear from birth. That's why we respond so much better to, to fear. Because when the fear in us at birth, because of some issues that are, you know, ancestral things and all that kind of, we come into this world with fear, and then when fear is presented to us, something to be feared is presented to us, we easily fear it. We don't just jump over and say, oh, I'm in faith now. Now we do when we change who we are on the inside. So then when we see a situation, we jump into it to fix it rather than run away from it because it's gonna hurt us. But that's not our automatic response. We're looking for it to be our automatic response. When Jesus saw a leper, a group of lepers wandering off the back there, what did Jesus do? Jesus, oh, oh, unclean, unclean. No, Jesus went to them. Not just to them, right? Excuse me? Touched them. Why? Because he was not inclined to perceive that situation from a fearful perspective. Where are you going? When the blessing of Abraham is upon your life and you know it, then you become like that. That's where we're going. Jesus came so that he could destroy him who had the power of death. James chapter one tells us that death comes from deception. Jesus came to destroy the ability for us to be deceived. John chapter, first John says, Jesus, the son of God was manifested that he would destroy the works of the devil. And those works in the New Testament are because of deception. So when we step in now, if you go back to 2 Corinthians there, and we're just gonna pray together. When we step in there, what happens is when Jesus died on the cross, when he, he established himself with all the authority, gave that authority to us in order to deal with all of these things, it says when you step into that, the veil is removed. If you take a look at Luke chapter 24, and I'm closing with this, Luke chapter 24, when it was after the resurrection, Jesus is now sitting around with his disciples, like you and I, sitting around right now trying to figure this out. And the disciples, he could see that the disciples couldn't believe. And he said, like, give me some fish. I'm not a spirit, I'm not an illusion. Give me something to eat. And he get, they give Jesus something to eat and he begins to eat it. And they're going, oh, freaking out, freaking out, freaking out. Go ahead and handle me, he said, touch me. And they couldn't believe, they still couldn't believe, still couldn't believe. See how, see how tough this is? Jesus was right there. They could feel him and touch him. He was having lunch with them and they still couldn't believe. The God of this world had so blinded, dulled their senses. They couldn't believe it even though it was sitting right in front of them. This beautiful scripture, Luke, are you there? You gotta underline it, Luke chapter 24. Then we're gonna pray together. 
Verse 45. Oh, God, look at this. This is beautiful. And he, Jesus, opened their understanding. Your scripture might say, and he opened their minds that they might comprehend the scriptures. Jesus imparted to them the ability to understand. Put your hand over your heart and say, Heavenly Father, I renounce the forces of religious spirits and witchcraft that would try to dull my senses, that would dull my mind in such a way that I do not understand the clear and simple truths of the kingdom of God. From this moment forward, I renounce any agreement, any vow, any sin, and any word that I've spoken in agreement with religious spirits or witchcraft. Father, I ask you to forgive me for any time I used those forces for my own benefit to manipulate the lives of others. I ask your forgiveness. I know the blessing of God is available to me. So I have no reason to be jealous or envious or covetous ever in my life. If I need something, if I want something, if I believe I'm supposed to be something, I know the blessing of God upon my life produces those things. All I need to do is understand how the blessing gets off the pages of my Bible into full manifestation in my life. I know it's the truth. And from this moment forward, any demonic attempt to dull my mind is removed, cast out. Jesus went to the cross to give me authority and dominion over any and all sin, any and all deception that would try to get into my mind. Jesus, I know you gave it to me. You paid a high price and I receive it. I'll walk in it. I'll honor you with it with my life. In Jesus' name.